Every time I come here, it feels more like coming home. <laughs> Thank you for your prayers. And uh, I told Sonia if I start fading out to juice me up back there with the buttons. It has been a long day, but I feel like all the adrenaline is back now that I see all of you. <laughs> Thank you for, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I got a little sticker on the rental car that I had when I was in Michigan. It said, it's this little yellow ribbon you have in the States. They don't, we don't see this in Europe. It says, support our troops. And the fellows that are over there, that's a tough job they have to do. You know, and uh, they're in harm's way every day. And it would be an awful thing to have to go and do a job like that and know that nobody in your country wanted you to do it and that people were not behind you. And in a very similar way, it's important for us to remember that all over the world, right here in the Bay Area and all over the world, we have people who are serving the Lord in his battles and in the trenches all over the world, not just in Iraq. Every continent, and a lot of them up in little towns and villages up in mountains in Peru and places that we never heard of. And it's really important for us to remember that. And uh, I tell you, I count on it. I know what day you have prayer meeting here. And I count on it. <laughs> and uh, I just want you to know how important it is to us who are uh, across the world somewhere serving the Lord to know that the Lord's people, our family in the Lord, is here praying and holding the ropes. <laughs> so thank you. Okay, let's go to the book of Revelation tonight. This church is so well taught on the book of Revelation that one hardly dares to bring it up. (laughs) But since fools blunder in where angels fear to tread, here I go. (laughs) Revelation chapter 1. just going to read the first eight verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth And they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. 
I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this evening in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we give thanks that we know the one who was and who is and who is to come. We give thanks that it is our privilege this evening to come into your presence, not on the merits that we have earned, because we have none, but only on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, only because of him. And because he is our Lord and Savior, are we able to take that name, the sweetest name in heaven, and have it for our access, the key that turns the door, that opens heaven to us and gives us that sweet fellowship with you, Heavenly Father. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he came to this earth, that he lived here, that he died here, he rose again. And we thank you that he's coming again. We thank you for this book of Revelation. And we pray that you will make it real to our hearts and lives. We give you that right which you already have because you are our creator. And you have it twice because you are our redeemer. The right to touch our lives. The right to rearrange our lives. The right to put things in, to take things out, to do anything you wish with us. And you know us, Lord. You know each of us. You know how we are. You know what our strengths and our weaknesses are. You know what each one in his particular situation in life needs right now from your word. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would minister that word to our hearts. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Amen. I want to begin uh, to study with you tonight the seven blessings that are in the book of Revelation. Seven blessings for us. Now, when we read the book of Revelation... And I said begin, by the way, because I think uh, we'll probably finish it tomorrow in the ladies' study. Now, you men, don't be a bunch of wimps and whine. You'll get it on tape or whatever. Uh, but there's no way we're going to finish it tonight, I'm sure, because I know right now what's going to happen when we get into the beginning of it. But when we look at the book of Revelation, we don't often think of the book of Revelation as a book of blessings, do we? Yeah, for us in the end. But when people think about the book of Revelation, when they read it or you mention it to the person on the street, probably the first thing he thinks of is lightning bolts, earthquakes, plagues, whole world now worried about the avian flu or whatever you call it. Is that what you call it here? We call it the chicken flu in Spanish. The gripe de pollo. That's what they call it. And before I go on, uh, I just want to mention a lot of those choruses you were singing tonight. I was singing them in Spanish. They're the same ones we have in Sing in Spain, only in Spanish. I'm going to have to translate some of them for you and leave the translation here so that you guys can start learning to sing some in Spanish. And after all, it's going to be the language of heaven. <laughs> we'll talk about that later, too. <laughs> this book is not the kind of book people read when they're looking for a blessing. And I'll tell you, one of the things that makes me angry is the way people in the world use the book of Revelation simply for exciting titles to the latest movie or novel. Armageddon. Like the world is going to end by a meteor hitting it. Sorry. 
ain't going to happen. And all of these scenarios that come out, and, and they're so adept, aren't they, at taking a person's name or a phrase or an event out of the Bible and using it, not just Revelation, but anywhere in the Bible, uh, any term or phrase, and they'll use it for the title for their, their latest piece, Hollywood's latest work, with words from the Bible in there. God's word was not given to us to entertain us. It was given to us to educate us and to guide our steps. And that's why in the book of James we're told, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So we come to the book of Revelation. We as Christians shouldn't be surprised to find that in the midst of all these curses and judgments that there are, there's some blessings to be had. A lot of people, and I'm sure you all know, I bet I could get out a piece of paper right now and uh, give everyone a piece of paper and say, okay, write down uh, the three judgments that come in groups of seven. And I bet you could all do it. Or a lot of you could. If I said the satanic trinity that shows up in the book of Revelation, I bet a lot of you could write down who it is and maybe in what chapter it appears. People read the book of Revelation, and I'm sorry to say, in a lot of churches, the book of Revelation is presented for its shock and awe value. It's presented because people will come and listen if you talk about prophecy. It's a book that people read with the attitude that they want to stare into the crystal ball and tell the future. What event is going to take place at what time? And what does this have to do with that event that was prophesied in the Old Testament? And who's this going to be? And who, what's the 666 going to be? And who's going to be the Antichrist? And who are the two witnesses? Do you know the book of Revelation is not about all of that? This book isn't about all of that. This book is not about trumpets and bowls of judgments and seals. This book is not about demon invasions of earth. Were you reading with me when we began to read it? Go back to verse 1. The revelation of future events. Uh Uh-uh. That ain't what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is about a person. And the only people, everybody should read this book, but the only people who can read it and understand it are people who know and love Jesus Christ. You cannot make heads or tails of this book without Jesus Christ because it is about Him. And all of the things that happen in this book happen simply because they have to happen before He can come and do what his father told him and promised him he was going to do. Look, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Go figure. Now, what does that mean? God gave it to him. God sat him down one day in the chair in heaven, and he said, Now, son, let me explain to you the things that are going to happen in the future. Is that what happened? God the Father had to tell God the Son the things that were going to happen. And so he told him the secret. He told him the plan like a a quarterback 
in a huddle in the middle of a football game. Okay, uh, 22 right sweep. No, 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 no. They didn't have to get out the playbook and study it together. There wasn't anything that the son had to learn like choreography. Now, they're going to step here and you're going to step there. The father was not explaining to Jesus Christ the things that were going to happen. That's not what it means. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, is talking about the fact that God gave unto his son the promise that he is going to rule on this earth, that he is going to be revealed to this earth. That's what it means. And in the Spanish Bible, it's not called revelation. It's called apocalypse from the Greek word which is translated in our English Bible, Revelation. They didn't bother to translate it in the Spanish Bible. They just call it Apocalypse. The revealing. It means like you take the curtain and you pull it apart and you allow people to suddenly see what's behind it. And God has promised to His Son, Jesus Christ, that He is going to be revealed and known and worshipped That he is going to govern this world and all of God's creation. That is a promise. Not everyone has seen Jesus Christ. None of us have. And if you think you have, you're mistaken. You can't see Jesus Christ in religious art. Europe is full of it. Even the walls of the the buildings in, in Seville, they have murals painted on them. And one of them is called... El Cristo de Gran Poder. Uh, Some of you know Spanish, I guess, so I hear a few people sniffing. The Jesus or the Christ of great power. He got this long, sad-looking face with scars on it and blood on it. And he's got these big, ugly thorns, the mother of all thorns. On his head, and his head's all hung down like this, and it just gives you from the shoulders up. He looks pathetic. The Christ of great power. And people look at that, and they go into the, the Catholic churches, and they, as they walk in, a lot of times they have one they call the Santo Cristo de los Milagros, Holy Jesus of the Miracles, hanging on the cross. And he looks even worse than the Cristo de Gran Poder. And they go up to him and they, of course, when they walk in, you know, to the Catholic Church, the first thing they do, they think they're Jews. I mean, they don't think they are, but they, if they knew anything about Judaism, they would know. When you went into the tabernacle, what did you have? You walk into the tabernacle, you have the, the water, the laver, where you washed. And what does a Catholic do when he walks into the church? He goes over there and... The holy water. He's cleansing himself. And then you got that place up there at the other end of the church where beyond which every good Catholic knows he's not supposed to go. And that's where the Sagrario is. I don't know how you say that in English. Where they have the the consecrated wafer. The what? Okay, yeah. Well, sacrament, they have another name for it. In fact, in some places they call it the tabernacle. The little box that they that they carry them in. <coughs> and you know, by the way, that's what the day of Corpus Christi is. The body of Jesus. When they take out the little cracker and they parade it around the streets and, and that's supposed to be Christ. And so everybody's supposedly worshiping that. 
And the little girls will throw down rose petals in front of it. Well, people go in there and they look at that and they sometimes they'll fall down on their knees and they'll just worship and adore and meditate for hours, that little cracker. And the stations of the cross. And the religious art that shows different pictures of Jesus, supposedly. Peter said about Jesus Christ, Whom having not seen, you love. Whom having not seen, you love. We haven't seen him. He's not in that religious art. He's not in those crackers. I know they're not called crackers. I'm calling them crackers. He's not in that. He's not in those stations of the cross. He's not in any of those things. Nobody has seen him. We don't know what he looks like. And yet we love him. Are we nuts? We love someone we've never seen. We promise our lives to someone we've never seen. How many Americans would vote in the next election for an invisible person? Someone they can't see. You can't get a sound bite. You can't have an interview. You can't make a poster. You can't have him give a speech at a political convention. How many people would vote for someone they couldn't see? We love someone we haven't seen. We have sworn allegiance, or I have anyway. Anybody else here done that? To him. To him. And the Word of God says he's going to be revealed. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. We haven't seen him. He hasn't revealed himself yet. We know about him and we love him from what we know of him and his word. And his Holy Spirit makes him real to us, doesn't he? His Holy Spirit illuminates us. People say, uh, the Lord revealed to me, I hear this a lot, and I, if you say it, don't get upset with me for telling you this, but that's really not the right way to... See, the Lord, when he revealed things, they're in here. This is revelation. This is what God has revealed and made plain. He's given it to us in his word. That's revelation. When he gave it to those prophets and those holy men of God, it says, who wrote and spoke as the Holy Spirit guided them, that was inspiration. God guided them to say and to write the things, the very things that he was thinking in heaven, the very things that were coming out of his mouth or out of his thoughts were the very things that those men on earth were writing down. And some people say, they don't like that. They say, you have a... A divine dictation theory of the inspiration of the Bible. I say, well, if that's what you want to call it, that's fine. But I know this. The Bible says that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And when it says they were moved by the Holy Spirit, that language there, that, that phrase, that term, is the same thing you would use if you said a, tree, a leaf fell off of a tree and into a stream and the current carried it away. It was moved by the current. And that's what happened to those men. God inspired them to speak. God inspired them to write. The Holy Spirit took control of them, of their thoughts. They didn't write according to their character and their cultural position. They wrote according to what the Spirit of God told them. They were guided and moved and carried along 
in the current, we could say, of the Holy Spirit. That's how we got the Bible. That is inspiration. And the result of inspiration is revelation, a book that has been revealed to us, a book in which God reveals his thoughts, his will, in which he reveals to us things about the history of this world that we wouldn't know if it wasn't in this book. That's revelation. So, brother, sister, if the Lord reveals something to you, he revealed it to all the rest of us, too. Because it's right there in black and white. Now, what we mean when we say the Lord revealed something to me, what we mean by that is that I came to an understanding. It's like the light came on and suddenly I understood. But that's not revelation. That's illumination. Illumination. When the Holy Spirit, that's what he does. He illumines us. And you have that in 1 Corinthians 2. He opens the eyes of our understanding. He guides our understanding and helps us to know and to understand the things that have been revealed by inspiration and are in the Word of God. He gives us understanding. But one day, one day, Jesus Christ himself is going to be revealed. One day, we're not going to know about him only by what we've read in this book. Blessed book. Where would we be without it? Where would we be without this book? So when we say that, we're not detracting in any way from the scriptures. But we're saying that as wonderful as they are, there's something that's even greater. When one day our faith will give way to what? To sight. We're going to see Him. We're going to know Him by seeing Him. And we're going to know Him by listening to Him. We're going to be able to sit at His feet. We're going to be able to worship Him and serve Him in His presence. We have no idea what that's going to be like. But that's what's been promised. Because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And all these things in this book have to happen to get us to the point where God finally allows His Son to be revealed. Where His Son is revealed, where He physically, visibly comes to this world and sets up His kingdom and rules for a thousand years and then on into eternity after those thousand years because His kingdom will never end. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which God gave to him. And when you think about that, those first uh, few words, I want you to always remember Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. Not a bad verse to memorize. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. No one is going to succeed him. No successors, no dynasty, no one's going to inherit it. It's always going to be the same king. The kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. That is the promise that God has made. And revelation is the fulfillment of that promise. That's what it is. Daniel 2.44 is the seed and you take the seed and you plant it and you put some water on it and you wait and it sprouts and it grows into the book of Revelation. Everything 
that God is going to do to bring about the establishment of that kingdom that will never end, you find it here in the book of Revelation. You find it all through the scriptures. But here it is. And Daniel 2.44 is a key verse to understanding the prophetic scriptures. If you go over to the book of Psalms, the second psalm, just to pick one, because if we went through all the psalms that are prophetic about the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and his rule, we'd be here the rest of the year, every night. We'd have to call out and have them bring in food. Just take Psalm 2. And I'll resist the temptation to get into Psalm 2. Boy, it is a great psalm. It is a wonderful psalm. But just to look at down here in verse 8, he says, Ask of me, this is the Father talking to the Son. Ask of me, he says, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And then what does he say? Now God talks to the kings of the earth. This is to the group of seven. You know who I'm talking about? The group of seven that are always showing up on the news. The group of seven industrialized nations that are always making who knows what decisions without asking any of the rest of us what we think. This is to the United Nations. This is to the European Union. This is to the Arab League. This is to the Organization of American States. This is to the kings of the earth. However they align themselves with whatever treaties and organizations they have, he says, you be wise, kings, and be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. How's that going to work out? Read the book of Revelation. That's how it's going to work out. The book of Revelation tells us. Because the sun is coming. And they can kiss him as a way of doing homage. Bow down to him. Accept his reign. His authority. Yield to him. Give way and preference to him. Or they can be stomped. They can be overrun. They can be subdued. They can be subjected. But one way or the other, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is finally going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. People on earth are going to do it. People under the earth are going to do it. And yes, even the devil himself is going to do it. And in heaven, of course, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every knee and every tongue, no exception. The Bible is full of these promises. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. The Jewish people, even in the days of our Lord when he was on this earth, knew this psalm to be a messianic psalm, a psalm about the Messiah, about the coming king. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until 
until I go out and uh, get a consensus uh, of opinion from the nations and uh, preach the gospel and convert everyone and bring in the kingdom. And then when all men agree and are willing and ready to accept you and love you, you just sit still until I do that. Is that what it says? No, it's not going to happen. We're not going to bring in the kingdom. Post-millennialism ain't going to happen. I'm sorry. The world is not going to be converted. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, In the last days, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They're not going to get better, and they're not going to get converted. Worse and worse. Or like we would say where I came from, worser and worser. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Now, if they want to call that Zionism, well, they call it whatever they want to. But it's going to happen. With or without their labels, it's going to happen. Because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him. He promised it to him. He gave it to him that he is going to be revealed and he is going to reign on this earth. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of all the converted earth. Is that what it says? Rule in the midst of thine enemies. They're going to be enemies, but they're going to be subjected. I wouldn't want to be an enemy of the Lord. And I'll tell you real plain tonight, if you don't know for sure, if you haven't come to the place in your life where you can say for sure that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. If you don't know for sure that you have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ and accepted him, that you've repented of your sin and taken him to be your personal Lord and Savior. If you don't know that for a fact, then you may well be in the category of those people that are his enemies. Because there's only two kinds of people. We're going to talk about that on Sunday, I believe. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be. What? What does it say? Let him be accursed. It's all or nothing. It's not the believers and followers of the Lord Jesus, the faithful, and the enemies and the the hardened criminals over here and in the middle, these people that haven't made up their mind yet. You just forget tonight about that middle ground because it don't exist. It ain't there. There is no middle ground. You either love him or else you're one of his enemies. Rule down the midst of thine enemies, he says. And as you read through this psalm, you see 
It says in verse 5, The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries, many nations. When he comes, when he's revealed, when he does what his Father has given to him to do, to reveal himself and to set up his kingdom on this earth, all these psalms... All these prophecies in the Old Testament are going to be fulfilled literally. This is not figurative. This is going to be literally fulfilled, just like it says. You could read it and think you're reading the newspaper. It's going to be that clear. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. One more in the New Testament, just to give you one on the other side. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. 1 Timothy 6, 14 and 15. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Until the what? Until the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what it is. His appearing. Until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's going to be an appearing before that, isn't there? For us. It's a different word here, actually. And that, this is what it means. When he comes and he takes us, he appears in the skies and he takes those of us who are believers up to be with him. But we know that after that happens, his revelation to all the earth is going to take place. It says, which in, <clears throat> in his time, verse 15, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only or who alone has immortality, dwelling in light which no man can approach, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's talking about his revelation. It's talking about the fact that he is going to be revealed and he's going to be known. And God has given it to him. In his time, he shall show, it says in verse 15. We haven't seen it yet. We know it because we read the word of God. We know it. Those of us who believe the scriptures, it's as good as done already in our heart. Because we know that God, what he's promised to do, he does. He's never failed a single promise. And everything that he said in this book is going to take place. I don't know a single politician, right, left, or center, Christian or heathen, who can say he's done everything he ever said he was going to do. That's why I'm not involved in the world of politics. And my candidate, he isn't running anyway. <laughs> His father gave it to him. He made him a promise. He gave him a kingdom. He gave him a planet. And he is going to come. And he is going to take that book. And he is going to open those seals. And he is going to loose those judgments. And he is going to claim what is his. And he is going to reveal and manifest himself to everyone. He's going to come down to this world. He's going to set his two feet. Not figuratively, 
but literally on the Mount of Olives. And everybody is going to see him. And he is going to walk literally on a certain day in the calendar up into the literal city of Jerusalem. And they're going to open the gates just like it says in Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O you gates. And the, and the gatekeepers are going to cry down. Who is it? And they're going to tell him it's the Lord of hosts. And they're going to open the gates and he's going to go into the city. And he's going to set up his throne and his kingdom. And all of those glorious scenes in the book of Ezekiel, the last chapters of the book of Ezekiel, that wonderful temple and that throne and those rivers, that's all going to be literally true. Because God gave those things. Everything that is involved in the manifestation, in the revealing and the coming of Jesus Christ, a rule to be known and seen and to rule over this world that he has made. It's all going to happen. And that's what this book is about. Well, that's just what I wanted to share with you. Now you know what the book of Revelation is about. I know you knew what it was about anyway. And it has seven blessings in it. And I'm just going to give you the first one. And the ladies get the other six tomorrow. No, I can't keep you here all night. Besides that, I'm, I'm on borrowed time right now. At any time, I'm going to fall into a catastonic state here. And, and who knows what will happen to me. Seven times in the book, there are a lot of sevens in here. You know about the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven vials. You know about the seven spirits. You know about the seven angels that held the seven bowls, the, the last judgments. Well, we could go on and on. But the seven blessings. Seven times in the book of Revelation he says, blessed. And so by the time I get here tomorrow for the ladies meeting, I expect some of you are probably going to already have them all figured out. And then see, I'm going to get out of work. I'm not going to have to give the study because they'll already know them all. And maybe some of you already do. Chapter 1 and verse 3, the first time it appears. First time. I know I'm not going to have the curses of the book of Revelation. I know I'm not going to have the judgments of the book of Revelation. But I want the blessings of the book of Revelation. And the blessings of this book are not all automatic. He says here in verse 3, Blessed is he that reads... And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep or do those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So the first blessing is to the obedient readers and hearers of this book. And why does he say it that way? Blessed is he that reads, and that's singular, he that reads, and they who hear. Why does he say it that way? Well, because a lot of times in the New Testament days when a letter would come from an apostle to a church, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, for example, it would be read to the whole church. Someone would read it and the rest of them would hear it. They didn't all have a personal copy. And I think about that sometimes. How little the New Testament Christians had. And how their lives were on fire for God. And I, and I look around us today, 21st century Christianity, 
Everything we've got, we got all the accessories that you can possibly have. We got Christian bookstores and Bible bookstores and on the internet and on the radio. And you can get them all in MP3 messages now and have them saved up. And all the five years through the Bible we found of, of uh, Vernon McGee, which I think his ministry is excellent. Uh, we got it all, and I think it was five gigabytes, five years of ministry reduced to a, a SD card. A couple of SD cards. I thought, boy. All that work and sweat and study and prayer, if it's on there. We got all the accessories. We got all the information. You don't like the Bible in the King James? You can have it in the NIV. You don't like it in the NIV? You can have it in the New American Standard. Uh, you want the the Promises uh, Bible? You can have that. You want the Lady Study Bible? You can have that. You want the So-and-So Study Bible? You can. You want the Young People's Bible? You can have that. You don't want it in leather? You want it in, in um, jeans cloth? You can have it that way. You want it with flowers on? You want it big? You want it little? You want it to snap? You want it to zip? You want it on DVD? God says He wants it in your heart and your life. That's where He wants it. And the condemnation of our generation is going to be that we have had the Bible any way we wanted, and all we wanted, and more than all the other generations, we have had the Bible. And we have done, in a lot of cases, absolutely nothing with it. Someone had to come and read it to them. They didn't have their own copy. They didn't have every one of them the book of Revelation. They didn't have every one of them the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians. They went to a meeting where it was read to them and they sat and listened. Blessed is he who reads. Maybe he gets a double blessing. He's blessed because he's reading and giving it to other people. But he's blessed because he's reading and he's getting the information firsthand. <clears throat> And maybe some of those people couldn't read. They were illiterate. Or maybe the language it was written in, they couldn't read. Do you know how many people there are in the world today that don't have a copy of the Bible in their language? Don't have a good translation of the Bible in their language. Maybe they were blind. But they can hear. They can hear. And so he says, Blessed is he who reads and they who hear. And, and the and goes with both of them, the one who reads and those who are listening. It's read and keep the things that are written therein. It's hear and keep the things that are written therein. I wouldn't give two cents for somebody whose head is full of knowledge about the book of Revelation and their life doesn't show that they're obedient to anything this book teaches. Did you know that this book tells us things that we should do? It gives us exhortations. It gives us instructions. And it warns us, giving us the big picture about how everything is going to end and it tells us where we ought to invest our time and our energy and what our priorities ought to be. It tells us things directly and it tells us things indirectly. And there are a lot of people whose knowledge of the book of Revelation is simply at the curiosity level. It's simply at the, like we said before, the shock and awe level. 
And they can tell you all the special effects in the book of Revelation. And so what? So that and uh, two fifty will get you a small coffee at Starbucks. Which is another way of saying it's not worth anything. Blessed is he who reads and they who hear and keep the things which are written therein for the time is at hand. And you're running out of time to read it. And you're running out of time to hear it. And you're running out of time to do what it says. Time is not an endless cycle that repeats itself. Don't be deceived by the way that clock goes around in circles because time is not marching in circles. We are proceeding from a beginning point to an end point and every moment we're getting closer to that. And he says the time is at hand. Are you an obedient reader, hearer? You don't need anybody, maybe. Most of us here and I don't need anybody to read the book of Revelation to us. Although it would be a blessing for us just to sit and listen to it being read. We had it on tape or DVD and we could put it on and just sit and listen to it. And maybe you can do that in your home or, or in the kind of work you have. Maybe you have that uh, privilege. You could actually put it on and listen to it. And you could have a blessing just from that if you let it affect your life. The obedient readers and hearers of this book. I worry about that. People don't read much anymore. We have two books in Spain. We say they're in every house and nobody reads them. Two books that are in every house in Spain and nobody reads them. The Quixote... I don't know how you say that name. Don Quixote, I guess, or something like that. Ugh, that sounds terrible. And the Bible. Two books that are in every home in Spain and nobody's in. These collect books. Are you a book collector? Are you a book collector? You have a nice collection. You got it right there where your guests come in and they sit down on your sofa. And there it is on the shelf in front of you beside the space on the wall that you left for all your certificates for them to see. I'd lots rather look at uh, nice photos, family photos, photos of friends, things like that. But anyway, that's what we do. We put our certificates in one place, and then we have our books, the classics, and all the time life books, and all the books of who knows what. And if you could come to my house, see, I'm safe. You can't come to my house. You can. You're all welcome. But I don't think you're going to get there tonight, long way away. we got tons of books. you got books everywhere. But there's one small difference. We read them. We don't collect them. We read them. And we haven't raised our children on the television. We raised them with books. Starting with this one. Starting with this one. And they don't have to see the Bible in cartoons in order to see the Bible, in order to know the Bible. They can take the Bible and read it. And I know there's a lot of other children that can do that too. It's not good not to be a reader. 
If a person reads, he can be taught. A person who reads can learn. A person who reads can glean information. A person who reads can grow. But this is the way we are. We're mentally lazy. We just want to sit there with the Nintendo. And that's life. Just be entertained. Just be entertained. It doesn't say here, blessed is he who gets a PlayStation. And I'm going to tell you, some of you, and you young people, you're going to hate me for it. I had an old man that was a preacher when I was a young person, and he used to tell us this, and we hated his guts until we got saved. And he used to tell us, put up all that junk and start taking life seriously and read the Bible. And then I got one day, I had this inspiration. I went out and bought this book about the devil. It was a Christian book, but it talked about the devil and his, uh, his existence and his kingdom and his fall or something. Written by some Christian author. And I came up there on Sunday morning. I thought I was going to impress him. I said, look, I got this book to read about the devil. It was a Christian book from the Christian bookstore. It wasn't some book of a cult or Hitler or Black Sabbath or... It was a Christian book. And he looked at me and he said, don't read that trash. He said, if you have time to read a book, it was Phil Bomberger, Ken. <laughs> he said, if you have time to read a book, he said, you go get yourself a book about the Lord Jesus Christ and read that. He said, learn something about Christ and forget all this about learning about the devil and feeling excited about knowing things about the devil. He said, you read about Jesus Christ and know him. Boy, I tell you, I saw that guy coming. And I'd look how I could get out of there and go the other way. (laughs) So I know, I know I'm stepping on toes. And and I know, what I I can't see the balloon over your head, what your thoughts are. But I've been there and I know what they are. And I'll tell you, put that junk down and do something that will last in eternity. Do something that will help your life, that will help your person. Use your time for something else. That doesn't mean you can't have recreation, but it means you better not be a tube addict. And you better not be a PlayStation addict. You better not be an Xbox addict. You better not know more about all those games and and all those things than you know about the Bible. Because one day all that stuff is going to burn up. The Bible says the earth and the works that are in it are going to burn up. And there ain't going to be none of that in heaven. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable and you're not sure you want to go to heaven, well then you know what? You know what about your spiritual condition, don't you? Uh Uh-huh. You hear me? If you don't want to go to any place where there's not going to be any Xbox, look out now. Blessed is he that reads. Are you a reader? And what do you read? Car and driver? National Geographic? Flying? What do you read? When I was growing up, I started reading these books, John Carter of Mars. Anybody here know about those? Boy, that's really retro. That's so retro, they don't even show up on the... It was Edgar Rice Burroughs, and he wrote this about this guy who died, and uh, he didn't die. Somehow he ended up uh, living again on the planet of Mars, and he had all his muscles, his earth muscles on Mars, and so he was a great hero. 
And then he died on Mars and came back to Earth. And then he died on Earth and went back to Mars. And you had to read three books to get to the end of the first story. He'd hang you right at the end of the first book. You'd think this is the end. And somebody would be in prison or something's about to fall on somebody. And that's the end of the book. You had to go buy the next book. The next thing you know, I bought three books just to get to the end of the first plot. Well, they had, I don't know how many they had of these things. It must have been 11 or 12 of them. I can't remember. And the Anne of Green Gables and the Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and all these kind of books and stories. That's all right. That's okay if you want to read that. As long as it comes after you read the Bible. As long as you can't say you've been caught spending 20 hours a week reading that stuff and 20 minutes a week reading the Bible. You hear what I'm saying? What are you reading? When he says, blessed is he that reads, he's talking about reading this book. That's the only way you can get to know God. You can't get to know God in the X book, the X box. And they who hear, and that's the other problem. And everybody here tonight, we suppose, we suppose it. And when somebody's preaching, they like to believe that everybody's listening. But like one fellow said, I ain't no fool. And there they are, sitting there in the meeting with everybody else, and they're looking up there, and they're thinking from their seat, I wonder how they change those light tubes when they burn out. <laughs> and they're looking around, trying to see if there's a ladder. And they're, and they're, and there she is, sitting there in the meeting with her Bible open, and in her mind, she's at home, making a casserole <laughs> or there they are sitting there in the meeting and they're thinking about where they're going to go and what they're going to do with their friends when the meeting is over and not really listening not really listening and if you stop right now and gave everybody a piece of paper and say what were the last ten words that were said could you write them all down in the correct order blessed is he who reads And blessed are they who hear a person who learns to listen and pay attention. And when you don't, guess what happens to you in school? You make bad grades because you don't know how to pay attention. Because you don't listen and concentrate. That's one of the big things about studying. You're not there to see your friends. You're there to learn something. And if you want to learn it, you've got to pay attention. You've got to listen. You've got to follow And you've got to write down and take notes so you can remember what's being said. Because if you see it and hear it and write it down, you're going to remember it. Blessed is he who reads. Blessed are they who hear, not just anything, the words of this prophecy. If you listen and pay attention to the words of this prophecy, God has a blessing for you. And if you don't pay attention, you're going to get the curse instead of the blessing. You're going to get the judgments instead of the blessing. If you don't pay attention to what God is saying in this book. And the last thing is keep, he says. To make a practical application. Now let me give you this because we won't have time to do it in the time that I'm going to be here. Let me give you this as an assignment. This is an optional assignment. Extra credit. You take the book of Revelation and just take a blank piece of paper. And you, as you read the book, don't stop and study anything, okay? This is the agreement. This is the assignment. 
You just start reading the book, chapter 1 and verse 1, and just read. You say, well, I don't have time to read it all in one sitting. Well, okay, read a chapter in the morning, read a chapter in the evening, whatever you have time to read. Just read it, and the only thing you're going to do is write down on that piece of paper when it tells you to do something. Something that you see when you're reading that it says for you to do. Any kind of exhortation or instruction. Just that. Don't study anything else about any other events in this, in this reading. You just read it looking for things where he says here, keep those things which are written therein. And unless God made a mistake, then there are things written in this book that we're supposed to keep, that we're supposed to do. And guess what? You get to go find them. And you get to have the blessing. Now, if you read the book of Revelation and all you know is the, the seals and the trumpets and the bowls of wrath and the two witnesses and the beast and the false prophet and, and the dragon and the woman. And if all you know is that kind of stuff. Well, that's good to know. I mean, that's part of the book, okay? I'm not knocking that. But if you read this book and all you know is that kind of stuff and you didn't get one thing, it didn't percolate to one cavity of your brain anything that you should do, then you missed it. You missed it. Blessed is he that reads and they who hear and keep the things which are written therein. Make a practical application of the book of Revelation. God wants us to be doers. I told Adel today about this book that <clears throat> has a very interesting quote in it. It's called The Triumph of the Crucified. It's written by Eric Sauer. And he says about the kingdom of God, he says, It is unreserved in its demands. It requires unlimited obedience. It both grants and commands. It is at once gift and task. If any kingdom has ever advanced totalitarian claims, it is the kingdom of Christ and God. Authority and obedience, leading and following, command and subjection, this is its order. It is a totalitarian king, kingdom, and church. All half-heartedness and lukewarmness is an abomination to the king. The whole man belongs to him in spirit, soul, and body, in all relationships, heavenly and earthly. To renounce all, to take up the cross, to love Jesus more than earth's dearest, to serve him alone, to hate his own self, to lose his life so as to gain it eternally. This is the mind which the king demands. They don't write like that anymore. So I'll give you a piece of advice. If you're reading something besides the Bible, go find the old books by the old preachers. Like my kids tell me, they say, Daddy, you're from the black and white television days. A lot of y'all ain't never seen no black and white television. Some of us have. These are the black and white television guys. They saw everything in black and white. See? And he says here, he who reads, those who hear, and those who do, because God didn't give us his word to increase our information. He gave it to us to change our behavior, to affect our behavior, our lives. He wants us to do 
something with it. There's the first blessing. There's six more, but that's the first one. To read the Bible, to read the book of Revelation, to listen to the book of Revelation, and to do what it says. Now, you can't have that blessing if you don't read it, if you don't listen to it. And I didn't read you the whole book tonight, so you don't get the blessing from me tonight. You've got to go read it. Don't be like those people I said. We got all the Bibles in any form and variety and format you want it. And the early Christians in the first century were a lot, had a lot less information, were a lot more obedient to what they knew from God than we are. And that will be our condemnation. And you need to say with me tonight, with the Lord helping me, I am not going to fall into that condemnation. I want to be like the Christians in the first century. I want to take what I learn, what I hear, what I read from the Word of God, and I want to keep it. I want to be a keeper and a doer of the Word. I want to find something. Every time I read the Bible or listen to somebody teach the Bible, I want to find something for me to do. And you know what? If you do that, you get a blessing. You have God's Word on it. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father. But this time we've had together this evening, we thank you for your word and for the blessing that it is to us. And we do pray that you will help us as we think about the book of Revelation, the wonderful revelation of your son. We long for his coming. And we say, even as they say at the end of the book, even so, come, Lord Jesus. This is our prayer, Lord. And until you do come, help us to be obedient readers and hearers of your word. Help us to pull ourselves, to tear ourselves away from all the attractions and distractions that there are in this world. And to be a people of your book. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.